Countries are teaching AI in kindergarten. They're investing in research and startups. How can we prepare our children to compete in a global workplace? Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Ed, and congratulations for investing in the future of your family by joining us on AI Parenting Live. We are a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time, and our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today we are creating the future by looking at the past AI Sputnik crisis that launched a new arms race for today. We'll explain how to prepare your children to be competitive in a global workplace. The three topics that we'll explore today are one, AI in kindergarten, two, four AI revolutions, and three, thriving in an AI world. So let's dive into it. The first one is AI in kindergarten. So let me tell you a tale of two countries from the AI Superpowers book by Kai-Fu Lee. Now, U.S. media reports described a nation in shock shortly after the launch of the Sputnik satellite. Science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke said that the day that Sputnik orbited around the Earth, the U.S. became a second-rate power. It had an instant and profound effect on the American psyche and government policy. And less than a year later, billions went into initiatives ranging from defense to research, and it led to the creation of the National Aeronautics Space Agency, or NASA. The U.S. was graduating fewer scientists uh, a year than Russia. So Russia was graduating more scientists per year. So lawmakers passed the National Defense Education Act, or NDEA, that provided financial assistance, and it helped more than double college enrollments from 15% of age-eligible students to 40% in under 10 years. So that's a huge, huge feat. Now, you might be wondering, okay, okay, Maybe I know this story already, like, why are you saying it again? And, you know, what does this have to do with AI? Well, first I got to explain the game of Go. So many of you have heard about the game of Go. The game of Go was invented more than 2,500 years ago in China. Uh, chess, if you look at the total range of possibilities, uh, it's around 10 to the power of 120 uh, possible moves. But if you think about it, like Go has not 10 to the power of 120, but 10 to the power of 174 possible moves. Now, that's more than double the number of planets in our known universe, number of possibilities difference. And so the emphasis in Go has always been on calm thinking and strategy rather than tactics. And it was seen as kind of like the mark of true intelligence in China. And it, for thousands of years, it's been seen as like, this is the pillar of, this is the pillar of intelligence, like of the, the calm thinking mind in China. Now in China, um, over 280 million viewers watched the 2016 Go match where 18 time world champion, Lee Sedol was defeated four to one by AlphaGo. 
China was swept by an artificial intelligence fever. And only a year later, and this is, it's funny how history repeats itself because this is, this is very much the Sputnik playbook.、Uh, just a year later, the Chinese central government announced a plan to be the center of global innovation in AI by 2030. So, Chinese venture capitalists that year poured record sums into AI startups, making up 48% of all AI venture funding. That year and exceeding the United States for the first time. So they're investing more in AI than any other platform or any other country. And remember that image that I showed earlier? <laughs> let, me, let me bring it, let me refresh your memory just in case. Remember this image right here? So in 2018, photos of an artificial intelligence textbook for Chinese kindergarten students, this photo, Uh, went viral. It turns out that UNESCO AI researchers and AI researchers from Google,、uh, the Institute of Automation of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and top Chinese universities all collaborated on the textbooks. And the aim was to democratize AI education in a hundred Chinese schools and to introduce preteens to the basics. To strengthen teenagers' capability for using intelligent and applied technologies, and to help train hundreds of new AI teachers. So, the initiative also、um, included a cloud based AI e learning platform that students can access via their like, computers or WeChat、uh, if they were on mobile.、Uh, the platform also supports major. Machine learning frameworks, including TensorFlow,、uh, which many are familiar with,、uh, CNTK,、uh, which is kind of the Chinese equivalent of TensorFlow, and Cafe Programming.、Um, and they included programming environments such as Scratch 3.0 and Python's integrated development environment. And anybody who's doing development in AI is typically using Python, is very common、uh, for a lot of AI development. So it's a, a very capable tool, even for like, commercial use as well. So in April 2018, we're talking just like two years, I guess, since that event,、uh, the Sputnik moment in 2016, 40 high schools in Shanghai、uh, began using this fundamentals of artificial intelligence textbook that I just showed, the later versions of it,、um, compiled by SenseTime.、Uh, and those, if you don't know what SenseTime is, it is a unicorn startup in AI, and it's considered the world's most valuable AI startup, and it's located in China. So, you might be thinking, oh man, like teaching AI in kindergarten, that's got to be like really hard, right? But actually, it turns out there are really great resources、uh, online, and there are books available that make it easy to discuss.、Uh, and so, I'm not, I'm not talking like from a theoretical perspective here. I've actually tried some of these examples out with my Five year old son yesterday. Do you guys want to see some of these examples? So, maybe you've seen some of these examples, and I don't want to completely bore you with the details, but I do think it's very important if you are not familiar with them, take a look at these examples because they are really, really cool. So, I'm going to bring up Mac. Okay, hopefully, you can see that and you can see me. So, these are,、um, you go to experiments.withgoogle.com. 
and you should be able to see these examples. Uh, so uh, what you'll see is a collection of different a AI experiments, and on them, uh, what I really like is this one, Teachable Machine by the Google Creative Lab. Um, and you can also go to teachablemachine.withgoogle.com. And here, uh, they have a number of different examples. And so I like these examples because they are fairly easy to understand and they're fairly easy to work with with kids on. Uh, so, hmm, where's the rest of the pages on this? Okay, no problem. Uh, launch experiment. Yes, here it is. Okay, yes. So they have three different examples that I really enjoy. Um, one of them is just being able to classify different types of images, which I thought was really cool. They have another one which deals with sound, so it could detect the difference between clapping, snapping, and whistling. Um, and so that was kind of fun. Uh, and there's another one that specifically deals with poses. So uh, the pose example was one where you tilt your head to the left, you tilt your head to the right, and it will it will track your face and it will tell you like, oh, you're tilting one way or the other. And so to actually play them, you don't need any code. You can just, um, like, for example, with the head tilt one, and I apologize, like, this is not going to look great because it's through my camera, but um, you just go down to the very bottom of it, and then you can click. I exported this website on Glitch, and so Glitch is just, like, a place to run some code, and you have to authorize to use your camera, and then once you've done that, you can you can basically run this example right away, which is kind of cool. Um, Oh, allow, sure. <laughs> so, might be asking for more permissions than I'm allowing it to do right now, which is cool. Uh, it could be also because I'm doing the live stream, so it's not going to work. Uh, no worries. So, to me, like, um, examples, like I mentioned, the, the, the head tilt, the sound of a clap, um, or a snap, or a whistle... Um, and they also have an example of detecting the ripeness of a banana. <laughs> and that was fun. Like we even, uh, like my son and I, we, we ate the banana afterwards to see if the ripeness actually matched the AI prediction. And we learned the hard way that actually mm, it didn't. And we may need to retrain the AI for organic bananas since they turn a little greenish color when they ripen. And so... What I love about this is even if it doesn't work perfectly, this is a beautiful example. And it's a great opportunity to have a discussion about why the teachable machine did not work. Why didn't it work? Did it not have enough data? Did it not have enough examples of ripe bananas? Uh, was the AI only looking at color? So we could do some experiments like what happens if I have a yellow shirt or I have something yellow in the background? We could try that out too. Right. And the, the reason why this is so important is because understanding where it gets things wrong is actually the, the key purpose of this. Like, this is why we're doing this discussion and helping us understand AI, at least from the basics perspective, is so important because we're we, I feel like we're at this massive fork in the road right now for education. Uh, I've talked about how we can either choose to move towards creative learning and we'll understand the AI technology or we will choose to not learn it and then we'll be moving towards this world of AI proctored learning and working. That is like people are using AI to monitor if students are cheating on exams. And 
this proctoring is not only going to take place in education, but also in the world of work as well.、Uh, in the freelance economy, your ratings basically determine how much new work will come your way, which is a really important point. And my suggestion is, if you do nothing today, like these mini, these tiny little experiments are an easy to, thing to do at home as a starting point. Uh, you can see this and many other examples、uh, at experiments.withgoogle.com, and so go and check it out. Those would be fun, and maybe I'll just write it down: experiments.withgoogle.com. So that's a that's a fun little、uh, example to try out. So I'd love for you to to see it.、Uh, when do you think this change will be fully implemented? Okay. So Alice asks. Oh, how come I can't see it? What's going on? Oh, I see. Yes. No. Sorry. So、um, Alice asks, when do you think、uh, this change will be fully implemented? And I think this is a, a good comment to highlight now.、Um, my understanding is that depends on which country you, you're asking, but in China, this has already been implemented in 2018. Uh, there were the 40 high schools. Now, in terms of full implementation, my understanding is that they have set very specific targets for 2020, 2025, and 2030. And so there will be expectations of broader rollout.、Um, and I think like they need to get things started 2020, and then they have to show like very specific improvement by 2025, and then by 2030, the expectation is they are world leaders.、Um, so my expectation, Ellis, is that this is happening sooner. Uh, than we think, and in terms of full rollout, I mean, you won't become the world leader unless you have the full rollout、uh, before then. So probably 2025、uh, to 2030 is their current plan,、uh, at least in terms of implementation. And so that's exactly why it's very important to talk about this now. We're like early 2021,、um, <laughs> still has some time to, to consider it. And I, I do think it's a good point because it helps us galvanize our group, our Population towards one particular goal. What do we want our future to look like? What do we want to be able to win at?、Um, the question is: Is the U.S. working on this as well? That's another great question, Alice.、Um, so, my understanding is actually yes,、um, and that leads me to my next point. Actually, thank you. This is perfect. <laughs> this is your your timing is fantastic. So. Uh, I want to refer people to another discussion that I found that was really helpful.、Uh, was Chapter Two of the Teaching AI book by Michelle Zimmerman.、Uh, she's located in Seattle, and she's an like an education researcher who's been who's been working on this for some time. And in Chapter Two, what I like about her her book is that she does it with interviews. Her Chapter Two is called Preparing Students for the Future, and what it is is a series of case studies where she Interviewed a number of people who actually worked on AlphaGo or like who are design leads at Google, and so they're they're written by experts in the field. And I think that this is this is really good. So the AI book by Michelle Zimmerman、uh, is a really good resource for educators.、Uh, she does that full interview with the Google AI researchers、um, and like the product developers on the future of work. And I think that that's a good discussion because like hear from them. But hear from the professionals who are already working on this. What do they say? What's going to happen with work? 
Um, and what do we need to look out for? So that's a good that that would be my recommendation. Um, is because they're already these are discussion items. They have questions that are already designed to be very relevant. Uh, like it's a very relevant topic for the different age groups. So she's kind of already designed that. And so rather than reinvent the wheel here, I'm going to recommend you the the kind of the good stuff. <laughs> uh, the next step is to talk a little bit about the different phases of this revolution, this AI revolution. And I thought it was very insightful and I wanted to share it with you. Um, and they refer to this as the four AI revolutions. So in his book called AI Superpowers, Kai-Fu Lee explains that there are four main revolutions from AI. The first is the control of attention on the internet. So this is about influencing what you purchase, the political, your political ideology, and ultimately influencing what kind of relationships you have. The second is the control of learning and working. And so this could influence how we do grading. I talked about AI proctoring, uh, influencing insurance, uh, also looking at freelance work and how that's going to impact jobs as a whole. And then the next is perception, AI perception. Uh, and then this is going to influence the surveillance industries and it's going to blur the line between the digital and the physical because now AI can start seeing into the world, they can start interacting with the world in a more meaningful way, which leads to the final phase, the fourth phase, uh, which he describes as automation. And so this is an AI that is making decisions in the physical, in the real physical world. Uh, and, and this is like the example would be uh, automated cars, like uh, autonomous cars. And so these are the, the phases that he describes. And I want to go into each one in a little bit more detail because I think they're he has some new insights that I didn't know about. And I thought it might be interesting for you to to be aware of them as well. Uh, so first, the first revolution, Lee feels that America is already ahead in terms of controlling attention on the Internet and impacting how we learn and work. So much of the world already relies on Google for search. Facebook is dominant in social networking. And of course, we also see a huge amount of investments in freelance platforms like Upwork and Uber. Yet, China is not far behind in these areas. We already see how TikTok created a very smooth mobile experience for watching videos. Didi uh, was able to beat Uber in China. And WeChat has moved beyond WhatsApp in mobile payments. And in the education front, uh, VIP Kid definitely provides online tutoring for over a half million students. So the volumes, the, the data, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's huge there. Now, the second phase is another area where Kaifu Lee feels that America has a big advantage. The second revolution. Remember, this is about changing how we work and learn. So one of the big differences between uh, China and North America is the protection of intellectual property. So we have that in America. We don't really have that in China. And so as a result, Chinese companies have been very quick to copy the online services of American companies. And some were initially dismissed like oh, that's almost an exact replica 
of an original interface, say one from America. Yet it is this hyper competitive environment in China and this ability to quickly adapt to the needs of the Chinese market that made it so hard for American companies to succeed. Uh, consider Groupon. There were over 5,000, 5,000 Groupon clones in China. They're all competing for the same group buying market. Uh, Groupon itself, like the original company, had such a hard time competing because by the time that they had arrived in China, there were so many alternative business models that had been tried and tested and were preferred over the original Groupon model. Um, in his book, uh, AI Superpowers, Kaifu Lee explains that eye tracking studies of search results found that Chinese internet users were spending a lot more time browsing all the different search results. So they wouldn't just like go and, and look at the first, like the first result and then click on it. No, no, no. <laughs> they, they would look and they would browse, like they look here, they look there, they look all over the page. And they, they were like, why, why are people doing that? Why is it so different? Uh, and they said that actually they, they preferred browsing these results similar to how you go to a mall just to go shopping and, and just to see what's out there rather than getting that, like it's rather than going into one store and getting that one thing that you need and then, and then leaving their behaviors were different. And so what this caused is because they behave a little bit differently uh, from this hyper competitive market rose these battle hardened entrepreneurs that knew precisely what strategies would work on their local market making it extremely difficult to compete, right? You could have even the best service out there, get better algorithms, doesn't matter because you haven't really tailored to their market. And those companies have not only created what you have, they've, they've really tailored to the needs of that market. And that's what makes it so hard to compete. And so over time, several like competitive giants uh, have arisen atop of this this massive battlefield, this um, entrepreneurial battlefield. Uh, three of the top five unicorns, tech unicorns, come from China. So a unicorn is privately held over a billion dollars. Um, so it has to be not like not on the on the market. Um, and so those three are the Ant Group, which owns Alibaba, ByteDance, which owns TikTok, and Didi, which I talked about before, which does transportation services. So the interesting thing about this new world of AI is that actually the quality of a deep learning artificial intelligence is determined much more by the quantity of data than the expertise of its developers. So this is very different, right? It's not about who has the bigger brains, who has the better research, who has the better developers, no. It's about who has more data. And if you have more data, you have a better algorithm. It's it's kind of, it doesn't matter how good your research is. And so there are two resources that are most needed for really successful AI today. And they are computing power and data. And China has huge advantages in both of these areas. They have more mobile smartphone users than the US and Europe combined. And with systems like WeChat, uh, they have mobile payments that 
they conduct way more financial transactions with their phones than than we do. Like, for example, well, what's holding America back? Well, I mean, they're credit card companies, right? Like, they don't want you to move to mo- like all to mobile payments. That wouldn't be good for their business. So there's things like that prevent that from happening. Um, and so that's that's huge in terms of the data that they have. These mobile companies now have way way more data. Um, it's like imagine all of the data of your credit card company now appearing in like WeChat. Like, how powerful would you be if you had that level of data? And how much more at a disadvantage would a like say just WhatsApp be compared to to WeChat if it doesn't have that data? Like that's the difference that we're talking about. Does that make sense? <laughs> so they also have an advantage in computing power because uh, they manufacture many of the consumer electronics, like smartphones, laptops, and most importantly, graphics cards that speed up AI processing. Now, that's not to say. I just want to be clear. That's not to say that they're suddenly going to like trump. Uh, or beat uh, Nvidia. Like, not, no, they're not going to do that. But they're really close to copying, right? And if you look at the graphics cards that they are, they do a lot of the manufacturing of it in in China. So they're not that far off from producing AI compatible chips. And so I would I wouldn't uh, discount it too soon. Um, even if they just have to buy the chips, for, say from Nvidia, they'll still be competitive. That it doesn't need to be better. It just needs to be like I have access to it. Now third. Uh, when it this is the third revolution. When it comes to AI perception, uh, the AI perception revolution, Lee pointed to the electronics manufacturing hub of Shenzhen and its ability to quickly generate new low-cost products that are just so hard to compete against. Uh, the example he pointed to was the unicorn drone maker DJI and their ability to hold over half of the global drone market. But that's not the only example. I mean, Foxconn, um, the company that makes the most mobile phones, they own more than half of the world's supply of computer numerical control or CNC machines. Um, if you don't know what they are, they're just the things that take a block of aluminum and they like drill it until it becomes the shape of your iPhone. Um, and so they they're way ahead in terms of the the physical creation. And that's going to make it very difficult to compete because if you are in America and you're trying to create a, a similar product, it would take you months. You'd have to find all these manufacturers. You'd have to source things from many different areas. Versus in Shenzhen, you just walk across the street and it's like, oh, there it is. Put all those pieces together. I, it's really cheap. I don't have to pay for shipping. I can get everything I need. If I need some help, there's some somebody who can help me build it. You know, I, I have a prototype done, and then now I can just go to each one of the manufacturers and I can say, can you build this for cheaper? Can you build this for cheaper? And so, like, within a month, I've, I've done my whole product iteration cycle. By the time you know, it would take, like, potentially a year to do development elsewhere. And so that's a, a big, big difference in terms of the perception revolution. Because you know, creating the devices that perceive, like a drone, for example, is a lot of work. There's a lot of prototyping involved and is not easy to do. So that's, that's a big, big difference. Uh, and then the fourth uh, revolution is when we, like... What starts as just perceiving the world, it doesn't take very long before that quickly moves towards that fourth AI revolution of acting on the real world. And we tend to think about uh, technology change, like just in terms of the technology, and but not from a society change example. So, uh, for example, the famous example is the Jetsons. 
They had an incredibly futuristic technology, voice control for writing out your letters. They had like ways of making food, robotic cleaning maids, and it was interesting. But they lived in this society that, from our perspective today, might seem very backwards. In fact, like this society of the Jetsons,、uh, wives stayed at home,、um, and so it's kind of this. Telltale sign that when we consider technology, it is so important for us to consider the society. Where is the society going? And the society, where the society goes, is more important than where the technology goes. Like it, it doesn't matter what AI really does. It's it's about what people do with AI. And when people think about oh, like how many jobs are going to be lost, I've seen、oh, there's all these weird statistics. Like some will say oh, fifty percent of job tasks can be replaced. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, people will just do other tasks. Well, like nine percent or ten percent of the full job could be replaced. Well, that's not really what happens. So, for example,、um, autonomous cars、uh, will probably have more impact than merely just replacing drivers, like Uber drivers.、Um, the example that I've seen in another book、uh, that I've read. Called、uh, "Measure What Matters" by John Dewar.、Um, he's like one of the、um, the the first funders, I guess, of Google.、Uh, he talked about Zoom, Z U M E.、Uh, it's a pizza startup that bakes the pizza using robots,、uh, and it can, in theory, bake that pizza on a truck、uh, with the goal of getting you like a a hot pizza delivery on your choice in less time.、Um, and so. That changes the whole nature of food delivery.、Um, what happens if your ghost kitchen is no longer a ghost kitchen? It's a mobile ghost kitchen, and like things are cooked along the way.、Um, that's just a very different environment. That's just a very different world to live in. So something to consider.、Um, I don't know if that'll happen. I mean, like, what happens if you have an accident and you know, all your pizza and everything goes crazy? Or I don't know. Like, I don't know what's really going to happen. But you have to consider the society impacts beyond just. Um, the technology.、Uh, the good news is that it costs the same amount of money to hire a robot in America as it does to hire one in China. So we are seeing a move towards local manufacturing today. But the main problem is that it's not resulting in us hiring a lot more workers.、Um, the famous example would be the Foxconn facility. There was this expectation that so many workers were going to be hired, but they didn't. We didn't need that. Like, why would I hire them? Like, it's like it's so much cheaper to buy the, the automation, the robotics. We live in a society where much of our own feeling of self worth、uh, is tied up with the work that we do. But when an AI is able to do many of the tasks that we have practiced for years. Like to get to the point where we become experts in it, we need to ask the question of what does it mean? What does it mean to thrive as a human being on this planet? And I want to like jump on to、uh, Alice's point that yeah, it makes sense. It's a little scary.、Um, it is a little scary. But I think that there is、uh, some some good hope and. To me, that this is a, this is the goal is to to scare, but also to to provide a little bit of light 
at the end of the tunnel. So I hope I can I can do that next. But my answer would be yes, <laughs> it is scary, 100%. So let me show you what I mean. So my last point is, I'll make some room. Thriving in an AI world. So Kafka famously proclaimed that a book must be the axe for the frozen sea inside of us. A book must be the axe for the frozen sea that is inside of us. It must break through our barriers towards what our core, our deepest desires are. And I'm happy to say that AI Superpowers is a book that does just that at the end. Uh, Kai-Fu Lee talks about his experience with stage four lymphoma and how it fundamentally changed the priorities of his life. Oh, uh, Alice, really appreciate that. Uh, Alice says, uh, this is exactly why I love these webinars. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. <laughs> uh, so, awesome. So, It was in his struggles, Kai Fu Li's struggles, to write his own will that he discovered that the things that were most important to him were not the people he was influencing. Like He was a huge influencer. He said like 50 million followers on Weibo. Probably like he's the equivalent of Elon Musk on that platform. That's how many people he was influencing. Uh, but it was the very family that he had been neglecting in order to gain more influence. You know, he, he visited a Buddhist monk who asked him, Kai Fu Li, what is the purpose of your life? To which he quickly responded, because he knew this response. He's, he's been programming himself for this. He says, my purpose in life is to maximize my impact on the world. And the, the monk thought about his response. And he turned to him. And he said, are you impacting the world or are you impacting your own ego? Think about this deeply. And Kaifu Lee's story is a strong reminder to not neglect our social connections with each other. Like in the end, it's going to be our relationships that is going to create these movements that's going to lead to the society that we want the most. And so if we don't critically think about what we would like our society to be today, we are going to be subject to the society that the AI superpowers create for us. And AI is an inherently monopolistic technology since people's data always goes to the best solution. Why doesn't Bing work as, as good as Google? Data. They have, Google has far more data than Bing. And that is why it's, it's able to win. This data, and this like, let's call it like a, a data moat, 
makes it very difficult for others to compete, even if they have superior technology. And that means that AI is going to create this growing inequality, and a large portion of the population will not be able to earn enough income in order to make a living wage moving forward.、Um, and I know that. Some proponents kind of say, like, "Nah, come on, that there's no way that that's the case." Like we said the same thing. We said exactly the same thing when manufacturing first started. We said, "Oh, all the jobs for farmers is going to be gone.、Um, there's going to be nothing." And、uh, there's the famous、um, uh, party led by Nick Ludd, who would go in and the, to the factories and smash up the machines,、uh, hence creating the, the term Luddites.、Um, and so. Yeah, like why would it change? Like why? That's not really going to happen, right? Um, I think it's important to realize that in this particular case, this isn't the purpose of it. Isn't to make your manufacturing quicker and to give you other positions. It's actually to like remove the number of people、uh, that is needed.、Uh, companies like Uber would love to get rid of all of their human drivers. We use humans. If you think about it, like humans in the loop right now. For a lot of these systems, it's just because we—it's really hard for AI to do them or computers to do them, automation to do them right now. But if there was a way, then they—they they would be all over that, and then they—they they would just get rid of them. So, like, Uber would make make way more profit if they didn't have any actual drivers.、Um, in the same way, Amazon, right, would have like they started off with. Uh, workers in the warehouses were driving to the shelves and picking up stuff, putting them in boxes. And now, those workers stay in one stationary place, and then the shelves come to them,、uh, moved by robots. And Amazon would love nothing more than to get rid of that last stage of the the person there, and just have like a robot doing all the picking and and moving and sorting and putting stuff into the boxes. And so, it's different. Like there's a financial incentive. There's a strong financial incentive to get rid of workers as much as possible, and it may come to us, like the educators, the parents, the、uh, the people in society, to say, like, no, this isn't the society that we want. We want to see some things changed, and and that's why we're we're doing the the things that we're doing today is to give you some insights as to well, what what do we need to watch out for? We need to. Pay very close attention to growing inequality. This is getting worse.、Um, it will continue to be worse,、uh, not better.、Um, things like bias that we've talked about; those are things that we need to worry about as a society because they are not going to have a profit incentive.、Um, so what this means is you're not going to see any change、um, unless it becomes really profitable for that company to make the change. And so you have to make it profitable for them, right? To say like we need to change the law, and if you don't do this, you can't.、Uh, You can't operate in our country or in our jurisdiction,、um, so that's one way of doing it. But we need to, no matter what, we need to think about all of this differently. <laughs> I hope you found this podcast today helpful. I've gone through many books in my lifetime, and only a handful have really opened up my view on the world. Some examples include Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Andrew Yang's *The War Against Normal People* and this book, Kai-Fu Lee's *AI Superpowers*. You can find a link to Kai-Fu Lee's book on my blog at aiparenting.live, and you can sign up to be an insider to get exclusive tips that are sent out to you 
Next week, we'll be expanding on the topic of children who thrive with education coach, author, and advocate George Valenzuela. Thank you for being a part of this journey of discovery with me on the AI Parenting Podcast. We love you, and we're excited to speak to you next week.